message. And uh, a few weeks ago, somebody passed me a, uh, a devotional that kind of triggered this thought in this message tonight. You know, which, Lord, what do you want me to teach? And as I read through the devotional, I automatically knew what God was speaking to my heart. And uh, let's go ahead and pray. Father God, we thank you so much, Lord, for your, your love and that you love us unconditionally. I thank you for each person here, Lord Jesus, that you would fill them with your spirit, God, to obey your word, to hear your voice. And to follow hard after you, God. I pray, Jesus, that you would do the work that you want to do here tonight. In Jesus' precious name, amen. As I started putting this message together and I was praying and talking to the Lord, I started asking myself the question what does biblical love look like? What does agape love look like? As human beings, it's one of the greatest needs that God has placed within each one of our hearts. The need to be loved. The need to know that we're loved by someone else. We're loved unconditionally. No strings, no attachments. And that it's okay to be who we are and to fail and to make mistakes and to sin and to know that that will never jeopardize God's love for me. That will never change His love for me. And that's what I want to look at tonight. Our main passage of Scripture is going to be John 13, verses 1 through 17. Now what we're going to do, I'm going to use that as our main text. I'm only going to read through it once. And we're going to move around a little bit. So you may, if you're a note taker, you're going to want to jot the Scriptures down because I'm going to mention quite a few of them. <laughs> but what we're going to do is we're going to look at the narrative of when Jesus was in the upper room at the Passover meal with His disciples. And what we're going to do is we're going to slowly move into the narrative of Him washing the disciples' feet. And from there, we're going to move into the Garden of Gethsemane because it's all connected with what Jesus is trying to accomplish. We're going to move into the Garden of Gethsemane and then from there, we're going to move to the cross. And there's some things that I want us to see tonight. For me, this is a very powerful message because God had to address my heart as I was studying and preparing to teach this. What I want us to see is that there's three aspects to God's love tonight that we're going to look at through this narrative. Number one, if you're a point person, then here's your three points. God's love is an unselfish love. Number two, God's love goes beyond human comprehension. And number three, God's love leads us to love others fearlessly. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go ahead and start reading the text. 
John 13, starting at verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside His garment, took a towel, and girded Himself. After that, He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which He was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? And Jesus answered him and said, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. In other words, you'll understand later. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet, Lord. Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, then you will have no part in me. And Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not only my feet, but also my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you not understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher, and you call me Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, hear this last statement, if you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. So our first point is God's love is an unselfish love. Before we move on in this text, there's a couple of ideas I want to establish first. And the first idea and thought that I want to get established is in, John, is in verse 1 of John 13. It tells us that Jesus loved His own who were in the world. He was talking about His disciples. Talking about you and me. Those who belong to Him. Having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. First statement in John chapter 13. The word end, and this is the only Greek word I'm going to give you tonight. The word end is the word aeon. Aeon. And it's where we get our Greek word eon. So this is what's being said in the first statement. 
It's saying that Jesus loved His disciples and He loved you and me forever and ever. Without end to the remotest part of time. To the farthest extremity of eternity. And even beyond that, to the end of our deepest, deepest need. To the end of our waywardness and wandering to the end of ourselves. His love will meet us wherever we are. And that's the idea that's coming across in this first statement. The title of this message is God's Boundless Love. And there's three points to it that I gave you. God's boundless love is a kind of love that God has for you and me. It's pure. It's perfect. It has no boundaries or limitations. It's totally different than the love we experience within our relationships and within people that we deal with on a, different, on a daily basis. Psalm 139 and Psalm 103 verse 12 expresses this thought of God's love very well. It says, it's a love that goes to the highest heavens and it reaches to the lowest depths of the earth. It stretches farther and wider than the east is from the west because it has no boundaries. It's the kind of love that God loves us with. It's immeasurable. It's infinite. It's the kind of love that when you think it can't go any higher, it goes higher still. When you think it can't reach any deeper, it goes deeper still. And when you think it can't go any further in your life, it goes further still. God's love is boundless. And it's extravagantly poured out upon you and I in spite of our past, in spite of our sins, our failures, and it is a love that will shine in the deepest, darkest recesses of our hearts if we will allow it to. It's a love that goes beyond self. And this is the point I want us to see here. At one time or another, all of us have put up a boundary of self or self-preservation. Maybe someone has hurt you or treated you badly or outright rejected you. So you put up your guard, you put up walls, and I've done this. And you withhold love from that person. And you say, I'll love you this far, but no further. And I have done that. But Jesus Christ never puts Himself first and has never put Himself first when it came and when it comes to loving you and me. His boundless love tears down those walls and it freely gives and it goes beyond self-preservation. It's a selfless love that extends grace without attached conditions. And we see this in Jesus' ministry and in His life through the Gospel accounts, reaching out to those who are lost, reaching out to sinners, to those who are in need of a physician, spiritually and physically. But we also see this love displayed to His betrayer at the Passover meal and to His disciple who would deny Him three times to you and me. His love is boundless. 
We're going to go back to John 13, verse 1 again. It tells us that Jesus knew that his hour had come. He knew that he was about to die. He knew that he was about to go to the cross. But it also meant this. It meant that during the Last Supper, and hear me, hear me carefully on this, it also meant that during the Last Supper, Jesus, Jesus knew that Judas had hours before arranged to betray him. Jesus knew that hours later, Judas' kiss would set in motion the terrible pain and suffering of a trial and crucifixion. And yet Jesus gave Judas the position of honor at that table. How do I know that? The Bible tells us that Judas had the place of the seat of honor. But extra biblical literature also tells us that Judas had the seat of honor. The Bible tells us where he was sitting. It tells us that Jesus served him, all which the host would have done for the guest of honor. Jesus also knew that Peter, who had previously claimed that, I'll never leave you, Lord, even if they leave you. (laughs) Even if they turn their back on you, Jesus, I'm never going to do that to you. Jesus even knew at that moment that Peter would deny him three times. Yet, Jesus is still looking upon them with eyes of love. God's love not only motivates to give selflessly, but it motivates to give when it costs dearly. And we see in 1 Corinthians 13, 4-7, it says love is patient. And the word love here is agape. It's God's love. It's not a human love. It only comes from the Holy Spirit. Love is patient and kind Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but it rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, it hopes all things, and it endures all things. And in the upper room, as we're moving through this narrative, Jesus is preparing himself and his disciples for the cross that's to come. But he's also about to teach them a lesson they won't forget. In John 13, verse 3, it says, Jesus says, He knew that the Father had given all things into His hands, and that He had come from God and was going to God... Stay with me, guys. I'm I'm showing you pictures. We're not going verse by verse, but I want you to see the pictures that we're going to see in a little bit here. And to build up to that, I have to show you this. Jesus says that He knew that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God. So Jesus knows who He is. Jesus knows He is the King of kings. He knows that. He knows that He is the Son of God. He knows that He is God. And he knows that the Father has placed all things into his hands. Yet as the Passover meal is ending, and Jesus is about to teach his disciples an important lesson, 
He takes those same holy hands and he picks up a towel to wash his disciples' feet. And and there's a little something I want to tell you about this. As Jesus is preparing to wash his disciples' feet, Josephus, the Jewish historian, tells us this. He says that over three million people would have been in Jerusalem at this time. There would have been over 256,500 lambs walking the streets, coming into the city for slaughter. The streets would have been muddy with sheep urine and dung everywhere. The disciples would have been wearing sandals and walking through this all day long. Dirty, repulsive, smelly feet. But the night before Jesus goes to the cross, he picks up a basin full of water and he begins to take those hands that created all things and he washes the feet of his betrayer and he washes the feet of the disciple who would deny him three times and he washes the dirty feet of every single one of his disciples teaching them and teaching us that this kind of love goes beyond self it goes beyond human reasoning that God in the flesh would reach down and wash dirty feet and the question is shouldn't the disciples be doing this shouldn't they be washing his feet by the way which was a task for a bond slave in that culture but God's boundless love goes beyond our human understanding If you and I love only those who love us back, if we love only those that are deserving in our eyes, then we're really staying behind the walls of self-preservation. If what you and I call love does not take us beyond ourselves and outside the boundaries of our comfort zones and into serving others sacrificially, then God's love has become diminished and limited in our lives as it was with the disciples. It goes beyond an emotional feeling. Our human love is often tainted with hidden agendas, hidden motives, and human expectations either knowingly or unknowingly. And once again, I've seen this in my own life. So in Peter's mind, it was unreasonable that Jesus would want to wash his feet and the rest of the disciples' feet. But that is where the boundless love of God, the limitless love of God will take us. It takes us beyond ourselves and beyond our understanding, and it is given freely to those who are undeserving. The creator of the universe, humbling himself as a bond slave, so that he could serve his creation by taking up a towel and a basin and washing the dirty feet of his disciples and then ultimately preparing for the cross, becoming our example. I'd like to read a short story for you. 
It was a boundless love of God that compelled five young men to forsake their careers and leave their comforts along with their wives to travel to the jungles of Ecuador, going to a heathen peak people, the Aka Indians, who were known for spearing one another, a tribe of Indians that had never heard the name of Jesus Christ. It was the boundless love of God that led these missionaries there. One of those young men's name was Jim Elliott. He was an athlete. He was smart. He was a pro- prolific college wrestler. Had a lot going for him. But the love of Christ compelled him to go somewhere that he could very likely be killed. And those five young men brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to a tribe of Aka Indians, sharing the love of God with them. And in return, each and every one of them was speared to death. Unreasonable love in the fact that it defies human reasoning. Nevertheless, it is God's boundless love. And what's even more amazing is that Jim Elliot's wife, Elizabeth, later goes back to the same group of people who killed her husband, taking her one and only daughter, who was a toddler at the time, to preach the gospel to the very same men who killed her husband. And the picture that I want you to see here is that this, as believers in Christ, this is the boundless love of God in action. Elizabeth Elliot said later in her life, She said that love is the way to maturity, but selfishness stunts growth and keeps us in a spiritual playpen. God's love is an unselfish love. Point number two. Stay with me, because I'm showing you pictures. We're going to get to our main point in a little bit, but I need you to follow me to get there. Point number two. God's love goes beyond human comprehension. So from the text in John 13, we see that God's love, His agape love, is not just words, but it's action. And I can remember in the early 90s, there was a band, DC Talk. They had a song called Love is a Verb. Love is a verb. Love is not me saying, oh, I love you. Although that could be a part of me saying, I love you and showing you I love you. Me showing you God's agape love is me submitting to the Holy Spirit and allowing God to work through me. It's an action. How do you know I love you? Unless I show you. I could tell you I love you all day long, but if I don't show you, it doesn't connect for you. In John, 1 John 3.18, John said, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. In deed and in truth. So in John 13.5, we see Jesus is demonstrating this very truth by washing the feet of His disciples. He's teaching them a valuable lesson. And there must have been, at that moment, a gasp 
in the room from his disciples when he picked up a basin and he picked up a towel to wash their feet. And there must have been silence in heaven when he picked up a towel and then ultimately a cross. And I can only imagine all of heaven watching this, the angels watching the King of glory, born a baby, become a man, now taking up a cross to die on it. What love in action. What unselfish love. God was not just telling the world that He loved them, but He was going to show the world that He loved them. Wouldn't it have been loving enough for Jesus to wash the disciples' feet and go, okay, we're done. I love you guys. Wouldn't that have been loving enough for the King of the universe to wash their feet and be done with it? The answer is no. Because Romans 5.8 says, but God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While you, <clears throat> while you and I were yet ungodly and separated from the Lord, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, Jesus Christ died for us. We hear it and we read it, but I wonder if we really understand as we start moving towards the Garden of Gethsemane here and we start moving towards the cross, there's some things I want you to see. I wonder if we really understand the pain and the sting and the meaning of that word, died. But I'll tell you who knows that, under, who knows that word and understands that word. You ask a mom or you ask a dad who's lost a child, they understand that word died. Ask a spouse who was married to their spouse for many years. Ask them. They will tell you, I understand that word died. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But no one knows the pain and the sting of that word more than God Himself and Christ who died on the cross for us. And during this, the question arises, does God really feel pain? Does He really feel emotion? Let's go to Genesis 6, verse 5. Genesis 6, verse 5. I'll read it. It says, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord regretted that He had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. In the NIV it says, and his heart was filled with pain. And what I want you to see here is we begin to understand God's selfless love. Is that our God, the only true God, is not an emotionless God. He's a compassionate Father who feels your pain who loves you, who grieves with you. 
Jesus said, if you've seen Me, you have seen the Father. We also read in Scripture that Jesus wept. We serve a God who is moved with compassion by the cry of our voice, whether we realize it or not. Our God knows the pain and the sting of that word died in Romans 5.8. And if you and I have ever given any thought to the cross and what Father God's perspective, if we actually meditated on what was going on in His heart at that time, as He Himself had to pour out His judgment on His only Son at the cross for sins that He didn't commit, but that you and I committed. What a picture of love without boundaries. What a picture of love without limits. And even though it was His eternal plan to reconcile you and I to Himself, I wonder if we somehow think that God wasn't moved when Christ died for the ungodly. I believe that word died must have stung and filled the Father's heart with pain. And I've heard it said that we grieve to the extent that we love. And if that's true, and I believe it is, I really wonder what was going, in, going on inside the heart of Father God at that moment. How much does, God, how much does the Father love His Son? I want to take a few verses to see what the Word of God says as we move towards the Garden of Gethsemane. John the Baptist, as Jesus was coming out of the Jordan River and came up out of the water, a voice thundered from heaven. It was the voice of God. And God said, This is My Son, whom I agapeo, whom I love. I love Him. John 1.1 It says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Was with God. Pros Theos in the Greek. Pros Theos. It means face-to-face intimacy toward each other. A deep, uninterrupted love. A oneness in unity between Father and Son throughout all eternity. Prostheos. Matthew 12.18 said, Here is My servant whom I have chosen, the one I love in whom I delight. Isaiah 42.1 says, Behold My servant whom I uphold, My chosen one in whom My soul delights, in whom I love. John 16, verse 27, it says, No, and this is what I want you to see. We see that God has made it very clear, I love my son. I love my son. But I want you to listen to the next few verses. In John 16, verse 27, Jesus again says, No, the Father Himself loves you because you have loved Me. And I have believed that I came, and believed that I came from God. 
John 17, verse 23, it says, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. John 17, verse 24. Father, and I want you to hear this very clearly. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. In essence, Jesus is saying, Father, I love them so much. I want them to be with me in glory. We see, we've read the Scriptures, the Father loves the Son. We see how much the Father loves the Son. The Father loves us. Jesus loves us. He wants us with Him in glory. But in order for us to be with Him in glory, for that to happen, there must be a cross. There has to be a cross. And Jesus Christ, the Son of God, must die on that cross. For God to remain just, yet to justify the ungodly sinner, Christ had to die. God the Father could not spare both His Son and us. His Son had to die as a part of the divine eternal plan, the perfect sacrifice, the just for the unjust, to save you and to save me. Peter didn't understand this at that time. He didn't understand why Jesus had to go to a cross. Remembering that we're in the narrative from the Passover supper to the foot washing to the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. All one time frame that we're going to look at. Peter didn't understand why Jesus wanted to wash his feet. He didn't understand why Jesus was going to go to the cross. But he would understand later. To get another glimpse of the boundless love of God, it's essential that you and I understand something about the cup that Jesus is going to drink at the Garden of Gethsemane. Turn with me to Mark 14, verse 32. Mark 14, verse 32. Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John with him and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little farther and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, Abba, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. As we start moving toward the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus is struggling. He's struggling over this cup that he's about to partake of. 
He cries out saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for You. Take this cup from Me. And Abba in Aramaic is the same as you and I saying, Dad, Daddy. He's crying out to His Father, Dad, please take this cup. Pleading with His Father, take this cup from Me. He didn't want to drink this cup. So the question is, what was it about this cup? What was it that Jesus was dreading about this cup? Was it the physical suffering? Was it the fact that he would have a cat of nine tails lashed across his back and the flesh torn off of his back? Was it that he would be nailed to a cross through his hands and feet? Would it be the crown of thorns that would be pressed down into his flesh on his head? Is that what he is not wanting to drink? And I believe the Scripture tells us that it's a lot more than that. In this cup were the sins of the world. Isaiah 53, verse 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Not one, not two. Of us all. The sins of the world were laid upon Christ. John 1 verse 29. It said that the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the entire world. And that's how it reads in the Greek. 1 John 2.2 says, He Himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. In this cup were the sins of the entire world. And this is where I want you guys to really focus for a minute. I'm going to ask you to do something extremely uncomfortable. But I want you to do this mental thing with me as we walk through this because I want us to see a really good picture of this. I want you to think of a time when you committed a sin against God. Think about the time when when the weight of that guilt and the shame came upon you. There was guilt and there was shame, and there was sorrow. Now, I want you to take that sin and multiply it. Pile upon that sin all the sins you have ever committed in your entire life. And place them on Jesus Christ. Now, not just the sins of your life, now the sins of everybody here. Placed upon Christ on the cross. Now everyone who lives in Phoenix. Now everyone who lives in Arizona. Placed upon Jesus Christ upon the cross. Now pile upon those sins, the sins of the entire nation of the United States of America. 
We're doing this for a reason because I think you'll see it a little better. The homosexuality, the child abuse, the gossip, the lust, the anger, the murder, the unforgiveness, the profanity, and all the abominations that have been committed in this country. All placed on Jesus Christ on the cross at that moment. The cup of the entire world. I'm not finished yet. Now all of Africa, all of Russia, China. Now the sins of the entire world and anyone and everyone who has lived on this planet, past, present, and future. The sins of the entire world placed in the cup upon Jesus Christ. The cup that Jesus drank, the sins of the world, was not just a few sins of mine. It was the sins of the entire world. And if we can't grasp that, I mean, it's it's mind-boggling to even think about it. But I want you to see why I'm going in this direction because I think many times we forget what Christ has done for us. No wonder Jesus cried out in the Garden of Gethsemane, Father, Abba, Abba, Father, please take this cup from me. Please, Father, take this cup from me. He wrestled. He wrestled in prayer. And he agonized literally to the degree of sweating great drops of blood. In the medical encyclopedia, it tells us a little bit about this. It's called hematohydrosis. It's a rare but very real medical condition where one sweat will contain blood. The sweat glands are surrounded by tiny blood vessels, and these vessels can constrict and then dilate to the point of rupture where the blood will then effuse into the sweat glands. Its cause is extreme anguish. In the other Gospel accounts, we see Jesus' level of anguish. It says, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow, to the point of death. God's love goes beyond human comprehension. His love for you and me goes beyond human comprehension. I want us to look briefly at the cup again. We know that there was sin in the cup. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that for He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Just as we received from Christ His righteousness, He received upon Himself our sins. All of them. And the sins of the entire world. He was made sin on the cross. (laughs) Why did He do it? Why? God's boundless love for you and me indescribable love for you and me. And that's what motivated him to say, Father, not my will, but yours. There's something else in this cup. And it's not just the sins of the world. Psalm 75, verse 7 says, For in the hand of the Lord there is a cup, and the wine is red, and it is fully mixed. And he pours it out, 
Surely its dregs shall all the wicked of the earth drain and drink down. And the prophet Jeremiah also talked about this cup. It's the cup of God's wrath towards sin. The cup that Jesus would drink is also the cup of God's wrath against sin. And the word wrath here is a holy anger. The fury of God that is built up against sin. And remember, the Bible says God hates sin because He's holy and He's righteous and He's good. And if we want to know how serious sin is, all we need to do is look at the cross. The cross of Jesus Christ. If we want to know how serious bitterness is, or gossip, or unforgiveness, you fill in the blank. We had to look at what Jesus Christ had to endure on the cross in our place. Isaiah 53.10 says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. Because God is a holy God and a just God, He must judge sin. Jesus had to drink this cup. While on the cross, the wrath and fury of Almighty God against sin crushed Jesus under its weight. At the cross, we see perfect love of God for all lost humanity, for all sinners, the ungodly, you and me. Perfect love of God and the perfect justice of God against sin met at the cross, and Christ Jesus was crucified. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? So we see that there is sin in the cup. The wrath of God towards sin is in the cup. But there's one more thing in this cup that Jesus is going to drink. Mark 13, verse 33. It says, Now when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani. Which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? As we see from this last verse, the third thing in this cup is separation from the Father. And I personally believe this was probably the most difficult part of the cup for Him to drink. It's the first time Jesus Christ ever addressed His Father as my God. It was always Abba. It was always Father. But now on the cross, as He drinks the wrath of Almighty God, as He drinks the cup of sin, as He drinks the cup of separation from the Father, His Father now becoming His judge, Jesus cries out for the first time ever, My God, My God, why have You forsaken Me? Why have You forsaken Me? The ultimate payment for your sins and for my sins. And for the first time in all eternity, and I want you to remember John 1.1. Remember the Prostheos Fellowship. For the first time in all of eternity, the Prostheos Fellowship with the Father and Son was broken. 
And probably the most severe judgment of the cross when the hours Jesus forsaken by His Father. The eternal fellowship broken. The face-to-face intimacy broken as the Father looked away as the sins of the world were placed on His Son and judged by the wrath of God. The Father temporarily turning away His face from His Son so that He could turn His face toward you and me for all eternity. All for love. I get this so backwards in my life sometimes. So backwards. It's not about us. As much as my flesh may fight against it, war against it, it is not about us. The boundless love of God for His children is indescribable. It's unfathomable. I got that one out. Unfathomable. And the question is, Ephesians says that He knew everything about us before the foundation of the earth. He knew us. He chose us. How can a holy God become my servant and wash my feet and die on a cross for my sins, all of my filth? Boundless love. His boundless love for you and me. And I want to tell you, no matter what's going on in your life right now, the enemy may have made you believe, talked you into believing that you're the worst human being that ever lived. It's a lie. And if you were the only one that Jesus could have died for, he would have. So how could a just God justify the wicked and ungodly? by judging His perfect Son in our place. Once and for all on the cross. And that, my friends, is God's boundless love. And here's some questions. And I'm just going to leave them as questions. That's between you and the Lord. Where are you right now with the Lord? How about with others in your life? What have you been holding on to? Remember what He did for you. Remember what He did for you. His love goes beyond our human comprehension. And that leads us to our third point and our last point. God's love leads us to love others fearlessly. The boundless love of God will lead you and me to love other people fearlessly. And this is a hard one for me. I'm going to be totally honest with you. Because my humanness, my flesh wants to get in the way so often. But that's not God's love. And we're not, I'm not talking about being under abuse or somebody mistreating it. What I'm saying is we cannot let everything in our life of God's love flowing in and through us. 
Okay? In God's kingdom, there are no cliques. There are no groups. There are no us and them. It's all of us. The boundless love of God may lead us to love others in spite of the consequences. To love those who may not love us back. My friends, we can look at the from the beginning of the Passover meal to the foot washing to the Garden of Gethsemane to the cross. Jesus' love for us was selfless. He may ask us to love those who actually hate us or betray us or despise us. It might even lead us to love those who mistreat us. God's love has no boundaries. No one took the life of Jesus. He laid it down willingly for you and me. 1 Peter 4.8 says, Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. And the question is, what do we do with this boundless love? And I believe there's only one response to it. Guys, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ right now, right here, you have the power of the Holy Spirit living within you to allow God's love to flow through you. We choose not to allow it to flow through us. We make a willful decision and He will work in and through us. But we give it right back to Him. What do we do with the boundless love? We give it right back to Him. We spend time in His presence. We spend time in His Word. And we may have a new revelation of His love. We may have a fresh encounter with the love of God through the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, we won't be able to contain it. It will begin to pour out through you. It will saturate you. It will wash over you. And it will flow out onto others. So we give it right back to Him by loving, willing obedience to Him and His Word. Jesus said, Jesus said, if you love Me, you will obey Me. If you love Me, you will obey Me. You're not going to, I don't want you to obey Me by force. If you love Me, you'll obey Me. It's going to happen. It's going to be a natural outflow of that relationship. And we need to allow that love to flow out onto our brothers and sisters and to unbelievers, to those outside of these walls that don't know Jesus Christ. Because see, it's not just about us. It's not just about this little group here. There's a whole world out here that's dying and going to hell, and God wants to use you as a tool to reach them. But what the enemy likes to do is get his body fighting with one another so that we cannot reach out to a lost world. And we need, in the name of Jesus, rebuke that. In the name of Jesus Christ, rebuke it. That is not God's will. And I'm going to tell you in my own life, there was a period of time where I got caught up in that. It's wrong. It's wrong. 
God's boundless love will give us a desire to seek the welfare of the other person over our own. And I believe that. We're so self-oriented. You know, the disciples, as Jesus is walking through the Passover meal with them, and then the foot washing, and then into the Garden of Gethsemane, and then to the cross, all of these disciples were vying for a position of honor. Jesus, look at me. They wanted to be better and higher than each other. And Jesus takes them through a foot washing and then ultimately to the cross to teach them some lessons about selfless love. In closing, I'm going to read you a true story. This is a true story. And it's about a sister in Christ named Beth. Beth was in an airport and she was waiting to board the plane. She had a wonderful morning with the Lord that morning. She looked up and there's an old man sitting across from her and this man was very thin, clothes hanging off of him. He's old and he's sitting in a wheelchair and his hair was very long and matted. And almost immediately, she sensed the Holy Spirit beginning to stir her heart. So she knew where it was leading. And she says, Oh Lord, please don't have me witness to him in front of everybody. Not in front of all these people. People are starting to crowd around. Please, Lord, just let him get on the plane and sit right next to me and I'll witness to him. I'll witness to him there. And the Lord said to her, Beth, I'm not asking you to witness to him. I want you to brush his hair. She said, Lord, I'll witness to him right now. Right now, Lord, I'll witness to him. Beth, I want you to brush his hair. She stewed in this embarrassment. People were gathering around her. How am I going to do this in front of everybody? I don't want people to see me. But she knew she had to obey the Lord. And so this boundless, unreasonable love of God compelled her to approach this man What she didn't know was that he was hard of hearing. So she tries to whisper so that no one notices. Sir, may I have the privilege of brushing your hair? He said, what's that? May I have the privilege of brushing your hair? He said, little lady, if you're going to talk to me, you're going to have to talk a lot louder than that. She says, sir, may I have the privilege of brushing your hair? He said, sure, if you want to. (laughs) It dawned on her, there's only one problem here. I don't have a hairbrush. And he said, that's not a problem at all. There's a hairbrush in my bag behind the wheelchair. So she opened his bag, 
and she took out the hairbrush, and she carefully began to brush out this man's hair. And it was at that moment, it were as if she and that old man were the only ones in the entire airport when she experienced the love of God pouring through her, washing over her and him as she was talking to him. Sir, she says, do you know Jesus? He said, I sure do. He said, my bride wouldn't marry me until I first came to know the Lord. I've known him for many years now. He said, I've been gone. I just had a heart surgery and my bride was too weak to go with me. I'm going back home right now and I was thinking, what a mess I am. What a mess I look. I was thinking how disappointed I would be to go back to my bride looking like this. And here you came and brushed my hair. She ministered to him. I finished brushing his hair out real nice. He was actually assigned to get on a different plane than hers. He moved towards the plane and she was gathering up her things to get on hers. And one of the flight attendants watched all of this. And after the man boarded his plane, she came back out with tears running down her face. And she said, ma'am, that old man is inside the plane right now, sobbing his eyes out. He's crying inside the plane. What made you do that for him? And it was at that moment she began to tell this flight attendant about the boundless love of God. God's love leads us to love others without fear. So what does this mean for you and me? What does it all mean? I'll sum it up for you. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, I have drawn you with loving kindness. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. But it doesn't stop there. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. By this we know love, that He laid down His life for us, and that we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. God's love is unselfish. It goes beyond human comprehension what He did for us. And it leads us to love others without fear. It's boundless. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that You'd minister to our hearts. And Lord, that as imperfect as this message went forth, God, that You would take what You want us to hold on to in our lives and help us to walk it out. 
Jesus, that we would have a better understanding of your selfless love to us and for us. And uh, just pray, Lord, that you'd minister to us through music right now and that you would help us to uh, just help us to, to, to see your spirit working in and through our lives. Thank you for each person that came here tonight. And thank you, God, that there's so many people here that touch our lives and half the time they don't even realize how much of an impact they have on us. Thank you for the body of Christ. Help us, Lord, to submit to your boundless love. In Jesus' name, amen.